Haas IM Radio with your co-hosts Robert Briney and Aaron Laxton. We go around the world and across the United States. Join in the conversation by calling in to 929-477-3572. That's 929-477-3572. This week, we have your HIV scoop with Josh Robbins and your positive message from Rise Up to HIV and Kevin Maloney. Your weekly dose of hope. Pause I Am Radio. I hope you're ready for season two because it starts now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, joined by my fabulous co-host, Aaron Laxton. Aaron, how are you out there in St. Louis? It is beautiful. It is like 78 or 79 degrees today, so it is it is beautiful, and I'm having a great Sunday so far. How about you? That's awesome. That's awesome. It's actually 65 degrees here in Philadelphia, and I am feeling the brotherly love today. It is beautiful out. I can't wait to get out of the studio and do something. Yes, it's been a uh, fun-filled week um, of both good news and bad news. I'm sure you, as everybody else uh, that is listening uh, to the show, saw this week we had some international activity with uh, Donnie firing some missiles across the pond. Um, So that was kind of a scary thing. So um, how has your week been in following what Donald Trump is doing? Well, the photos and the videos that are coming out of, um, you know, the the gas attacks before, you know, we released the missiles uh, were devastating. It was horrible that that would even happen. I couldn't imagine that happening in the world at all. And it's, it's disgusting that it happens. And um, I am kind of blown away that he responded so quickly. Um, uh, As far as I believe, I think I saw one of those uh, tweets from his account a few years ago, uh, kind of blasting Obama, you know, without getting for doing something like that, without getting uh, Congress approval and how that would be a disaster. And then here he goes, you know, a few years later and does the same exact thing. It's been very interesting. So, I've heard uh, a, a lot of people talking about how they are not watching the news um, and they're trying to, you know, in regards to self-care, they're just trying not to be as engaged with kind of the news cycle. Do you kind of find that that's the case for you or have you kind of slowed down on watching news or is it the same amount that prior to Trump getting elected? Well, part of me is a news junkie. So after he was elected, I definitely cut back on my news as much. Um, I just got tired of hearing his name and and hearing about him and, you know, after the election was over. Um, But every night, you know, I am a news junkie. Every night I watch World News with David Muir and I watch, you know, what's going on in the world. So, you know, I, I still watch the same, almost the same amount of news. I watch it every night at dinner and that's, you know the time that I set aside to get that news besides, you know, my daily breaks at work or something where I'm scrolling on Facebook, 
to see, you know, what's going on in the world. But I even, I'm even hesitant to believe anything that I see on Facebook, um, you know what I mean, without checking it in it, with real news on TV or, or something that's happening, you know, with a reputable source. Right. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. I've definitely cut down how much I kind of take in. You know, I, I do think that it's a very interesting time when it comes to international relations and what that looks like. Um, I guess we're going to find out in the you know, coming weeks. Um, certainly a scary situation. Um, I, my mind also goes to these countries that are impacted and the people that are living with HIV who may not have access to their HIV medications. And, and I just try to always kind of bring it back to, you know, if you're in Syria and you've been living and you have HIV, then that's, uh, you've not had medication, you don't have access to treatment. Um, man, that's a really, that's a, uh, on top of the humanitarian crisis, um, we look at countries around the world where there's no access to healthcare. Um, and for someone living with HIV, that still very much is a death sentence. I know it's, and, 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 and and that's a shame that there are countries that are that are, are are I don't want to say doing it to their people, but that you know where there are people that are suffering because of that situation. You know, when we were talking about the the strikes in Syria, I remember the one you know because World News actually only showed part of the photos. They kind of were very uh, specific of what they showed, not to um, upset anyone who was viewing it because the pictures were horrific and. You know, the one photo that I remember seeing was the, the father holding the twin babies that, you know, both were killed in, you know, in the, with the gas. And that was, to me, that was like one of the most touching photos to be a young father with two young kids, you know, and having them killed by your own government. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah. I, you know, I, I understand. I, I also think about, like, how much that news... That's there. I saw one article about this situation this past week with Syria has been exactly what the media has been waiting for. Um, and you can see the wall to wall coverage of, you know, missiles and um, those kind of images sell, right? It's human tragedy at its worst. And I don't, I don't know that any of us have the answers for it. I'm, I, I can't keep drawing back to, you know, how do we provide self care? And how do we process those things in a helpful manner, especially for people living with HIV who may already have a lot of stress anyway? Um, I've heard a lot of people say, man, I, I just can't handle, you know, the news. I can't handle anymore. Um, and so I, I would encourage them to, you know, yeah, take care of yourself, love each other, and don't be afraid to turn off that TV or the radio or even Facebook. Yeah, it can be very depressing reading the news and what's going on. There's a lot of uh, crazy people in the world, that's for sure. You know, and that's why we kind of do this show here to highlight some of the amazing people that are either living with HIV or helping those living with HIV. You know, we'll be speaking with somebody later today who is, you know, very active in the AIDS community. And um, I wanted to bring him on to commend him for his work and, and to spotlight, you know, a lot of people don't use their, if you want to call it, celebrity or their 15 minutes to to do good. And, and this gentleman, Andrew Shade, who will be on joining us a little later does just that. So that's why he'll be on, um, to join us. So I want to go ahead and, uh, let's go ahead over to Josh Robbins and check out this week's scoop for a minute. 
This is your HIV Scoop with Josh Robbins, exclusive for Paws I Am Radio. Buzzworthy HIV news in under 90 seconds. Here's Josh Robbins in this week's HIV Scoop. Well, hello, boys. How are you? All doing. We had a great AIDS watch in D.C. this week. Just It was, it was great. Just love it, love it, love it. All right, the National Institutes of Health has awarded the researchers at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with a three-year, $1.8 million grant for the development of a new implantable drug delivery system that steadily releases PrEP over long periods of time. Now, there are other uh, long-acting injectable drug formulations for PrEP that are being studied and tested in clinical trials, right? Um, However, the limitation on those is that once it is... injected into the body, it can't be removed. And that's a problem because if someone has some type of adverse reaction, they need to be able to get it out. Well, this study is the one that will allow it to be removed if needed. The CDC is going to assist the research team with the testing of the injectable implant, which they hope will provide up to three months of protection. Very cool. Now, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, she has given President Donald Trump hell you know what I mean? For his proposed budget, which slashes the NIH budget by $1.2 million. She also drew attention to the proposed cuts of nearly $350 million to the United States President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, PEPFAR, and HIV AIDS programs, warning, quote, President Trump's proposed reduction to PEPFAR and other HIV AIDS programs would be a, quote, humanitarian catastrophe, end quote. You know, Bob Lee, she will go to bat for us, won't she? She's just awesome. She's a hero. I'm Josh Robbins. This was the HIV Scoop. And there you have it. Thanks, Josh Robbins, for this week's HIV Scoop. And for more information on Josh, you can go to imstilljosh.com. Um, so he talked about the AIDS watch. I saw a lot of our fellow activists, Mark King, uh, posting things about the watch. Um, is that something that you've been to before? I have not attended that gathering or conference or whatever that is the AIDS watch before. Have you? Yeah, I've been I've been twice before, uh, and you know it's a good time to get on Capitol Hill and um, to learn about what's going on, uh, especially with other advocates around the country. Uh, I was going to go this year, and unfortunately, I had a grant that was due right at the same time, so I wasn't able to break away. But I would encourage anyone who's you know, involved in advocacy to to at least go once. Now, have you um, heard about this injectable drug that he was referring to? Because this is something that I have not heard of, where it'll be like time-releasing prep. Yeah, so we they have been um, try. There, there's a trial that the AIDS Clinical Trials Group has been working on. Um, call I believe the CAFE study. Um, so it's long-acting injectables. Um, and don't ask me what the CAFE acronym stands for. But um, <laughs> you know that's it, it, it's been a very interesting concept. The other thing is is that you know people have been there's different methods for being able to deliver the medication. Um, it, some people might recall that women uh, in 2000s, late 2000s. They had a little, it felt like rods, but it was um, the, the birth control that was in the bicep. And so mm-hmm. the the pharmaceutical industry has been looking at different uh, delivery mechanisms for PrEP 
and not just PrEP, but for antiretrovirals as well. And so, um, you know, getting it to where a person can go in for a shot every, you know, month or every six months, um, I think that's where we are in the game because we're discovering, you know, better longer lives of the drugs and medication. But the adverse reaction, that is still something that uh, serves as a barrier. Because uh, if you do have somebody who has a, an adverse reaction to something, let's say it's renal, renal problems are pretty common um, as far as reactions go. Not everybody has them, but it's a pretty common reaction if people do have them. Um, so with this long-acting injectable, and like Josh was saying, there's nothing that you could really do about it. The, the long-acting injectable would already be on board. So, you know, there's just working out the safety of it. Yeah, well, they need to definitely be able to remove it once it's injected, like um, he said. So I'm kind of glad that this one is uh, an improvement of uh, the previous ones that they were testing. You know, there has to be something you know, that's it, able to be done. I know people have allergic it, reactions it and things a, like that all the time. Yeah, it raises a question. So, so Robert, if we went to a, um, a long-acting injectable for uh, antiretrovirals, would you switch to it? Or would you stay with your current regimen? I don't know. That's that's a good question. I part of me thinks that I would just stay. I I think my my mm-hmm. motto is always if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. You know what I mean? And I've been undetectable yeah, I mean, for a, a numerous amounts of years on Travada and Icentris, and I know like people who have switched from Travada due to bone density things and, and I sent and have got new pills. And I just feel like as long as it's working for me, I'm going to continue to stay on the regimen that works for me. Everybody's mm-hmm. different. Right. Yeah. I mean, some people look at so, it and say, Oh, well, it's the ease of access would be an issue. Um, others. So from a scientific standpoint, um, the long acting injectables, they can give you smaller amounts of the medications. Um, because when we take something through, you know, through oral, um, there's a lot of filler stuff. There's a lot of other things other than the medication. And so with an injectable, you're actually getting just the drug that you need so they can give it at lesser amounts. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't say whether I would either. Um, but, I, you know, look, if you're somebody who has challenges with taking your medications daily, uh, if you have a you know busy act, active life, uh, then a long-acting injectable, whether it be prep or uh, antiretroviral drug regimen, I think you know that's one individual that it could really benefit. Yeah, I agree. You know, a lot of people have issues with taking their medicine every day and and all that, and and, and getting that one shot. And they said for what up to three months at a time, it could it could be uh, useful for. So if every three months going to the doctors and getting a shot works for, you know, you, that would be great. You know what I mean? But like you said, it depends on that person. And it it would definitely work good for somebody who is not um, good with adherence to their meds. So I want to go ahead and move over to today's guest. I believe I see him sitting on the line. Uh, We can touch a little bit more on that on a future show. Maybe we can try to find somebody who, you know, might be involved in that study or knows a little bit more about, um, you know, the implantable drugs, that's uh, a show for the future. So, um, you know, I, I spoke about uh, our guest a little earlier, Andrew Shade. Um, he is an activist and comic book writer. 
he has been featured on The Amazing Race, uh, the third season. I, you know me, I'm a reality show junkie. So when I saw this, I instantly, um, you know, was excited to have him come on, uh, whether it's Survivor, Amazing Race, or my favorite big brother. You know, I'm in front, you know, rooting somebody on and, and, and having him come on is, is going to be great. He's done uh, amazing work for a nonprofit organizations. He currently works uh, in social services at the Cascade AIDS Project planning events. He has raised over $6 million for a nonprofit. And he has uh, his own podcast uh, based out of, I believe, Oregon, which is called Geeks and Gossip. And he actually just released his first comic book series, Monsters Among Us. Please help me welcome Andrew Shade to the show. Andrew, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Good morning. What an introduction, man. That was so <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're excited. We're definitely excited to have you uh, on the show today. You know, um, we're uh, big fans. I, I got to look over the chapters of your of your comic book, and it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really awesome. I'm I'm a I'm a comic a little comic book junkie. I, I collect uh, He-Man uh-huh. comic books. It was that was who I oh, was. Yeah. Uh, that was what I. I played with when I was young, the Masters of the Universe and, and things like that, you know, so, you know, I'm definitely a junkie when it comes to uh, comic you. books. We sound very similar. I mean, I obviously love comic books and I write them, and um, I'm also a reality TV fanatic. Obviously, I was on The Amazing Race, uh, but was a fan, and I love Survivor and Big Brother um, as well, so we've got all that in common. Well, I've been dying guilty, to, my guilty to get on Big Brother. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, big yeah, brother. Yeah. So, so before we get into your work with um, the Cascade AIDS Project and all that stuff, I want to talk a little bit about what it was like getting on the Amazing Race and what it was, because you were on the third season, so that was kind of like, mm-hmm. like the beginning of the that reality boom where Survivor, Amazing Race, Big Brother, everything just started blowing up. You know what I mean? What was that yeah. like for you? Yep. It was honestly, it was the craziest experience. You know, here I am. I'm just kind of kind of this young goofy kid from. Um, Kentucky is where I was uh, born and raised. I was living there at the time, and uh, I I never really watched reality TV. I guess I just assumed, you know, I, Survivor was brand new too, and it was just I was like they eat bugs, and the real world, which was the other one, was just like <laughs> hooking up in the hot tub and screaming at each other. And I was like, I don't think that's for me. But I saw one episode of The Amazing Race, the second season, and they were hang gliding off a mountain in Rio. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest show I've ever seen. So the very next day, um, I Googled it and um, saw the application and did it with my dad. He loved to travel. He was actually, or is, a Southern Baptist. He was a missionary for many years. And so that's why CBS uh, interviewed us and cast us, because we had the Southern Baptist missionary father and his gay um, cheerleader in college at the time, uh, the gay son. Uh, that's why they fixed us because they were hoping there was going to be a whole lot of drama between the two of us. And we were the first kind of <laughs> LGBTQ person to ever do a reality show with a family member. You know, there had been Richard Hatch, won the first Survivor, and there had been Pedro from Real World San Francisco and a couple of people that blazed that reality TV trail. But we were the first ones to kind of deal with that as a family in front of the world. So that was a unique experience. And I wasn't out at the time. Um, my aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, my sixth grade Sunday school teacher at the church I grew up in, you know, so the show was <laughs> my big surprise. I mean, not like, not like big everybody surprise. did. Already, but they didn't have confidence. <laughs> you know, my, my dad's best friend is the biggest redneck in all of the world and also the nicest man. 
came up to me after the first episode aired, and he has the most redneck voice. He goes, Andrew, if your parents didn't know that you were gay before, they weren't paying attention. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's funny because I went back and I looked at the uh, photos of you and your dad back when the show was on, and you look completely different. Uh-huh. You're such a, you're so small and little there, and now you're all big oh. and worked out. Oh and... <laughs> I don't look like I do. I look like a completely different person. I was 21. I was the youngest person at the time to ever do the Amazing Race. It was. I held the youngest for years. Um, and I looked like a little bobblehead. I was. I was like the twinkiest of all twinks in all the world. And you know how like you hear your voice played back if you record it on the radio or on your voicemail. Uh-huh. Everyone's like, "Oh my God, I hate my voice." Imagine that amplified times a hundred when you see yourself on TV, especially young and dumb as I was. And it's just like man, I can't watch it. I haven't watched it since. I don't watch it. I don't want to watch it. Um, yeah, and, and I've certainly, I became kind of a gym fan and kind of bulked up. Um, uh, yeah, I look like a different person. Would you Would you do it again if you had the opportunity? I would. Yeah. I, I honestly, I think I would be a little more nervous the second time, just because now I know how hard it is. And um, I have, like I said, I'm a fan of Survivor and Big Brother. I've applied for Survivor a billion times. I think since I've been on Amazing Race, my chances are probably pretty low. But I was a finalist for Big Brother twice, two seasons in a row. They flew me to Los Angeles. And um, this was fairly recently, Big Brother 15 and 16. So this was just a couple seasons ago. And uh, I guess I just couldn't clinch it. I mean, I was in the room with the producer, Allison, who's the main producer of the show. We had a long conversation and... And I, I guess at the last minute, they just decided I wasn't the right one. So I was this close, like a hair away from being on Big Brother twice, technically. But I remember Bummer. when I was in uh, Los Angeles, we had to go down to the lobby and take pictures. And you can see all the other people that are there for the auditions. I went through this process with Amazing Race as well. And uh, we were taking pictures, and I saw this one guy ahead of me. We're not allowed to talk to each other because it's all kind of they keep you separate until you actually compete on these shows. But uh, I saw this one guy, real flamboyant. He had on a fur, like a mink stole, and booty shorts, and high tops almost to his knees, and this really outlandish outfit, pink hair. And I was like, what kind of goofball is this? And lo and behold, he made the show over me, because, you know, there's always, like, the one token gay. And it was Frankie Grande. Frankie Ariana Grande, Grande yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea who he was at the time when I saw him, but when I saw his pink hair on the show, I was like, you bitch. <laughs> I was so jealous. He beat me. But he's got a famous sister. How can I compete with that? Right. Yeah. Hey, this is Aaron. Um, (laughs) You know, you mentioned um, uh, Pedro. And, you know, Pedro is always going to hold a a special place in our heart um, as really, like, the first um, person. I I was born in 79. So um, Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, when MTV still was actually MTV. and yeah. had something worth watching. But uh, Pedro was the first person I ever knew, you know, through TV that was living his truth. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that, you know, and obviously I'm not asking you to be an expert of all like reality TV, but you, you, you probably in this conversation, you're, you're the most qualified to answer. Do you think that in your HIV or in, in the social services realm that, these reality shows really kind of give us a glimpse into, I know we'd say it's not really reality, but a lot of really tough subject talked about on these 
these different TV shows. Can you kind of speak about that, if, if, if you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I think I, I applaud reality television and it's and what it has done, specifically for LGBT community and Pedro to the HIV community, just getting these stories out there. Um, at the time, I mean, my, my season was 2002. Pedro was on San Francisco on MTV a few years prior to that. Um, there was those were that was new. That was a big deal to have queer voices and um, people living with HIV talking about it. I mean, that was unheard of at the time. Scripted shows wouldn't go there, um, and I think it was really a lot of reality TV that broke broke that down or broke down that wall. Um, I what I love about kind of the beginning, at least Amazing Race, I can speak from personally. You know, our season in particular and the ones around us. We had these really interesting relationships. You know, my dad was Southern Baptist Mission and I was gay. It was that was very real. So we never really talked about it. It was just kind of this like, this is something we don't talk about. It's not an issue. Just don't talk about it. And all of a sudden we're on reality TV and the directors, you know, in your interviews are making you talk about it. So it was like forced family therapy. You know, they asked my dad point blank, Do you think your son is going to hell? And I'm like, Woo, we've never talked about this at home. So it, yeah, it was really, really heavy. And I think that is how the, the mindset of America has changed. Like they started seeing, okay, you know, I started coming out because I watched Pedro do it. He was the first person, the first guy I'd ever seen kiss another guy on television. And here I am, this little gay kid in Kentucky who's just like, oh my gosh, like someone, like that's how I feel. Like it, it was the craziest thing. And I've since, since I was on reality TV, I had a million emails and phone calls and people that were kind of saying the same thing. Like I wanted to come out because I saw you and your dad hugging and working together and high-fiving each other. And, and it was just like, Whoa, like that's what Pedro was for me. And uh, it was uh, like a punch in the gut to realize that I had had that opportunity to be that for some other kid out there. And that was really wild. There was actually a guy on survivor. He played, came back twice. His name was Colton uh, gay, really kind of a villain, kind of obnoxious, said a lot of nasty, cruel things about people on his season of Survivor, but he messaged me on Facebook after his first season ended, and he was pretty hated by the, the public, and rightfully so, probably, but he's like, I just want you to know that you were the first gay person that I saw on reality TV, and, and now I'm on Survivor, and I'm like, that's great, I'm so glad that you're out and proud, I was like, but you did not get your mean behavior from me, <laughs> so don't say that you learned that from me, because, uh-uh. Um, if anybody who watches Survivors, I'll know exactly who I'm talking about. But yeah, it's, mm -hmm. in reality TV, I think it's cool for that, and I hope that that continues. You know, on my season, um, there was a team on Amazing Race, a, a guy and a girl who were dating uh, because she lost her brother, which was his best friend, in September 11th. And there was you know people that have lost someone together or dealing with all kinds of issues. And I'm afraid nowadays a lot of the shows are just like. This is a blind date. Everyone on Amazing Race this season is on a blind date, you know. And I'm like, no, do it. Like, you have such such storytelling capability. There's so many stories worth telling out there. That I hope, I hope all those shows don't lose that. Was that you know, speaking a... of the HIV thing? I just, speaking of the HIV thing, uh, Big Brother, um, Evil Dick, found out that he was HIV positive in the diary room. The producers did their physical before the show, which I'm surprised he didn't get those results before entering the game. 
but he was notified in the house, like, just we just want you to know that your test results came back HIV positive. And, of course, he's out about this in the media now. And uh, he decided to walk yeah. out of the game. And now, you know, time has gone by, and I think he's had time to process that and kind of figure out what that means. And so now he's been talking about it for some time now. But, um, you know, I could only imagine if he had decided to say what experience that would have shown the public with him finding out right there, right in the house. Now, that's his decision, and he made the right decision for him to leave. But um, just the chance for storytelling, I would love for him to, to play Big Brother again for the chance to talk about it. Did, did that was that a heavy kind of role to take on? Um, you know, I guess looking back now, um, at being you know kind of prodded by producers, they clearly have a storyline that they're pushing because they're, they're going mm-hmm. for ratings, they're going for what's going to sell. But that yeah. has to be kind of a, a, a heavy crown to wear, um, knowing. Or, or did you know at the time that you were really there were those people from you know Gravel Road, Mississippi that was watching or going to watch and see you as someone that they could identify with? Was that a heavy crown to wear? You know, it it wasn't um, not in my circumstance. Just because at the time I didn't really think about that. Um, I just thought, well, I'm going to go around the world and compete and do this with my dad, and this will be a cool adventure. And it, so I didn't really – I wasn't one of those people that went on reality TV. It's like I want to be a role model or I want to step on you know, this soapbox to get my voice out about this issue. I, I didn't – none of that was a part of any of my thought process prior to the, the race starting. It wasn't until I got home um, and got all these messages from all over the country. You know, One guy was like, hey, um, I just want you to email me and my dad and was like um, – uh, it's like 40, year, 40 years old now. I haven't spoken to my dad since I was 20 when I came out to him, but I saw you and your dad doing the amazing race together, and so I called him, and we're having lunch in two days for the first time in 20 years because they saw he saw me and my dad hugging each other and working together, and, and I was just like, whoa, that is so crazy Like to think that me and my dad having this crazy adventure got to impact somebody in, in a real way, you know, not just us being goofy on reality TV, but that, that was crazy. And I didn't know that was going to happen until after. No, that's cool. Cause I remember you being with your dad um, on the show and I, I remember watching it vaguely. And I remember cause my dad passed away before I was diagnosed and before I really became, I guess, open and, and proud of who I was. Um, so I remember seeing you and your dad and reflecting on me going, I kind of wish that, my dad could see me now because I'm a totally different person now being out and open and proud of who I am, you know, and, and like seeing you kind of made me reflect on that, seeing you race with your dad. It was cool, but you were talking about evil Dick and, and how he was diagnosed mm-hmm. on big brother. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm a junkie. I tried out for that show probably six times. I've been called back a few times, but I've never really made it as far as, as you did to LA. But, um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing him and him leaving. And, and when he came out later about his status, it, it kind of shocked me because I remember him being on the show the first season that he was on with his daughter with uh, Dustin and them getting into it and, and, you know, throwing iced tea on top of somebody and, and waking people up with pots and pans. And I kind of hated him. But then once it kind of came yeah. out that he left because of that situation, you know what I mean? You're right. He made the right move for himself, but I wonder how much 
he could have helped other people by actually coming back into the game and playing it. You know, that was always like my pitch to sure. people. Like, I, I, I'm somebody who's never been on Big Brother because you've never had somebody who's dealt with the situation and is willing to openly talk about it. You know what I mean? Right. While they're right. there, because you know you're put on there with people who are complete opposite to you on purpose. You know what I mean? So yeah. there, there could be me oh, living yeah. with HIV, and then there's somebody over here who's holding the Bible, telling me I'm going to hell. You know what I mean? And it's our interactions right. is what makes the show, you know, great. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I I would have loved for Dick to have stayed to kind of go to process that there, just because people live with HIV. That's such a, a story that the world needs to continue to hear. But I am absolutely under, like, a hundred percent believe that that was his choice and that was his to make, not mine. I'm just a viewer. Like, that was his choice to make for sure. Um, but yeah, I think it would be awesome to have you on the Big Brother and and talk about it. You know, I mean, that's I've worked in HIV for almost 13 years. That's what we say, or I've always said, is the biggest issue out there is just complacency. It's the people that are like AIDS fatigue. Like we've talked about it. It was in the news. The media's over it. Nobody cares anymore. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and it, it just drives me nuts. I hear you. There, he's one of my uh, dream interviews. <laughs> Him, Evil Dick, and then I really want to talk to Charlie Sheen too. I don't, I don't know why. Oh yeah, <laughs> but I really want to talk to Charlie Sheen about interview. it. Yeah. What'd you say? I'm not sure that would be. I said that would be a very interesting interview. Charlie Sheen, I'm sure. I'm sure Evil Dick would him on Facebook. He'll do it. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm you know, reach out to him. So, so, so yeah. Let's talk about uh, the work that you do with uh, Cascades AIDS Projects. What what exactly do you do mm-hmm. with that organization? Well, I started I started in HIV um, in Ohio. I worked for AIDS Resource Center Ohio, which is now called Equitus Health. It's kind of branched out to multiple counties, and um, so I worked there for six years or so, uh, and that was in prevention education. So I did. Uh, prevention in primarily the MSM, men who have sex with men community, came in out of, out of bars. Um, I uh, ran a program called the Empowerment Project. It's a, a prevention uh, program, uh, kind of evidence-based programming to keep people HIV negative. Um, so I ran uh, like a weekend summer camp each year that I planned a retreat that was a lot of a lot about self-esteem building. It's just kind of my mantra in HIV. If people don't think they're worth protecting, how can we expect them to protect themselves? And so I'm like, I got to show these guys, you know, a lot of these young guys that I was working with, that they're valuable and they need to take care of themselves. No one else is going to do it for you. And so we did a lot of kind of uh, empowerment, self-esteem stuff. And of course, a part of that was just HIV basics and um, testing, so I did testing and gave results and the necessary counseling afterwards, whether that was positive or negative result, and, and that for many years. And I moved to Portland, Oregon uh, for a new adventure and started uh, right away at Cascade AIDS Project, where I am now. I started in prevention there as well. I was there in prevention for about a year, continued doing testing, uh, and then our director of development came over and was like, hey, I want you to consider moving into development. Um, so now I am our special events coordinator is the official title. So I plan all of our fundraising events, which is like Aid Walk Portland. Um, there's a big art auction um, that I'm planning on April 29th, which raises about 650 to $670,000. Um, I'm planning all the, all the logistics around those events, and it is so much fun. Are, are you familiar with our friend um, 
Michael Lee Howard? I am. I sure am, yep. Yeah, he's actually going to be on the show at the end of the month. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, he's great. He's been working a lot on um, our Cascades for our opening PRISM, uh, which is going to be an LGBTQ health clinic um, opening up soon. So he's a busy man working on that, I'll tell you that. Yeah, he's going to be on April 30th. We're excited to have him. I actually, when I was posting the bios and looking at them, I saw that you both worked at this kind of, you know, we're involved in the same organization. So I wanted to see if you guys actually cross paths. It's kind of cool. So, so oh, yeah. let's move on to your, your, your new adventure and what you're doing now is, is mm-hmm. talk about your comic book, your graphic novel, Monsters Among Us. Where did this come from and, and, and how did you get involved in, you know, doing this? Well, I, um, I started reading comic books as a kid. Um, my dad would uh, make me go to my brother's baseball practice when I was young. I hated it. It was boring. I would just sit in the stands. And um, My dad found out there was a comic book shop down the street, so he would drive me uh, once a week, each of my brother's practices, to go get a comic book. My brother was the star athlete. I loved comic books. And uh, so I started collecting a lot of like the X-Men series and um, just fell in love with it and read comic books forever. In like middle school and high school, I would draw and write my own comic books, uh, you know, starring me and my friends with superpowers and all kinds of goofy stuff. And um, then it wasn't until maybe a year and a half ago, I was talking with a friend who uh, is a comic book publisher. And we were joking about some of the, the pitches that he gets as a publisher, you know. Someone would contact him like, I want to write a story, a comic book for you about a lobster with superpowers, you know, just all kinds of strange oh, pictures that he would get all the time. And so we were kind of te- giggling about those. And, and I was like, you know, I think if I were to be about this, and I'd really want to kind of show this message, but my characters would be kind of more like this. And, and so he was just kind of listening to me. He's like, well, write something. And I'll tell you if it sucks or if it's okay. So I wrote a first issue. Um, I wrote it, which I didn't really know how to write a comic book, so I Googled and kind of did a bunch of research on how they're actually written. It's very different than just writing a book. Wrote an issue and mm-hmm. gave it to him, and he's been a publishing company for 20-some years, and, and he's like, hmm, he goes, do you, would you be able to creating all that, and I've five books out. I just wrote another issue one of a new series and I'm working on my next four books for Monsters Among Us. Uh, and it's really fun. It's a blast to write. So, so how many chapters are out now for Monsters Among Us? Um, I have five out right now. Um, uh, the fifth one just came out. out now. Okay. Uh, this, this last week. Uh huh. And um, now I'm getting ready to start the next four books, um, which will be kind of the next story arc. The first four books kind of all connect the fifth book is kind of a standalone story with those characters, which connects that to the next four books, which are in the works right now. And I just wanted to write a, a book that was a little bit more meaningful. I, I was always kind of a Marvel comics fan. Marvel is like the Avengers and X-Men. And um, I love the X-Men as a kid the most. And I just remember reading the creation of the X-Men, um, the main characters, Magneto and Professor X, which many folks know from the movies. Those were based on, um, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and a lot of the storylines that came along over the next six, seven decades um, of these books. I think the first X-Men came out in like 63 or something um, kind of followed storylines that were really happening in modern day. Uh, Speaking of uh, uh, HIV, there was a storyline of the legacy virus, 
which is a virus that was impacting mutants only. Um, and then, so a lot of, in the storylines, a lot of humans were like, who cares? It's only impacting mutants. The rest of us humans are fine. And then it goes into the human, or the, the non-mutant community, I guess, or, or regular humans. And I'm like, okay, that's HIV if I've ever heard it. Like, it was literally, they, they wrote them so well to, to portray what was really going on with the X-Men spin. And so I wanted to make sure that when I wrote something that I, I wanted to do that too. I wanted to write something that was important to me. And Monsters Among Us, I mean, face value, it's Bigfoot and explosions and chupacabra and fight scenes. But if you if you read it, I think it's a very clear, at least from from me, from my heart, that um, it is the way that minorities are treated every single day. That's the clients that I work with who are living with HIV, people of color, queer community. I mean, it is that is all the monsters absolutely represent those folks, because the villain in the first story arc is, is this Reverend uh, Solomon Kane. He believes that God has bestowed upon him the, the duty to rid the world of these monsters. They're abominations. I mean, he, I quote the Bible over and over and over in these books. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised Southern Baptist. I kind of mentioned that with, you know, my dad um, being a missionary. And so I, I love religion. I, I consider myself a gay Christian man. I, I have a faith that I love. But I think some of the people that drive me the most crazy are Christians who make the faith look <laughs> terrible. They just make it look like it's the worst. So my villain is one of those. I mean, I based him kind of off Westboro Baptist Church. You know, these God-hates fags, kind of the worst of the worst. who just make everybody go, I don't want anything to do with the church. It's terrible. But some of the monster characters are have faith. One of them is a kind of this fallen angel. And he's like, dude, I actually know God. I've actually met him. And he is a cool dude. Like, So I just wanted to show that religion can be totally terrible but it can also be really, really incredible. It just depends on, sadly, whose hands it's in. Right. You, you actually sent us the first three. <laughs> you sent me the first three chapters, and I instantly was, like, hooked. And I was like, you know, you find yourself rooting for the monsters. You know what I mean? Where usually yeah. in a comic book, you're not rooting for the monster or the bad guy, quote, unquote. But here, the bad guy is the rich white guy who's trying to, you know, take out mm-hmm. what you would call the monsters. You know, and like you said, you're exactly. you're a cross between the minorities and what's going on in the world with Donald Trump being the rich white guy trying to take out, mm-hmm. you know, the minorities in our country. It's it's very relatable. Yeah. And I'm hooked. Yeah. Like, I want to know where can people go find it if they haven't already uh, read the first couple issues or where can they actually go to and physically purchase your comic book? Yeah, I thank you for that great review, by the way. That made me feel good. Uh, yeah. You can get the books anywhere digitally um, that, you, that you read. If you read a Nook Kindle, it's on all those. You can get it on Amazon, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Comixology um, is a big one in the, in the comic book world. So you can download them anywhere um, right now. I mean, you can read them on your phone, your iPad, whatever. Um, you can get print comics mailed to you wherever you are in the world um, through comicfleamarket.com. Um, kind of you your preference if you want to actually hold it or if you just want it right now then you can get them all right now right digital um like i said amazon or itunes is usually the quickest and easiest but any of those i would love to hear what y'all think too if you read it let me know like i'm still writing and i'm a new writer so i love feedback um read it message me on facebook yeah. i enter shade on facebook and uh let me know yeah there's something about holding physically holding the book for me i need to 
Like, I, I just mm-hmm. feel like I'm getting more out of it. If I can turn the page and look at the drawings, you know what I mean, than it being digital. That's why I asked because I want to go and pick up all of them. You know what I mean? I want to support people right. who are doing amazing things like you are. So I think that's the most, um, yeah. you know, important thing. So what else? Um, yeah. One of the other things I wanted to talk about real quick was uh, you do have a right. podcast. That is, how often is yeah. that podcast uh, live or, or post it? Yeah, my the podcast, uh, Geeks and Gossip, it is, um, I do it with 101.9 FM. It's actually a rock, the most popular rock station. Um, I do it with the, the morning show folks there. Um, and then it's online through SoundCloud, through the radio station's website once a week. Geeks and Gossip, we talk about all things geeky and all things gossipy, from Battlestar Galactica to comic books and X-Men and um, kind of Star Wars. We had a big stand about Golden Girls the other day. So basically anything that we know all that. Love, <laughs> um, we talk about all that. So if you're if you're a geek like me, it'd be a good fit. Um, the website, and everybody giggles when I say this, the, the radio station is 101.9 Kink FM, like Kink, K-I-N-K. The website is www.kink.fm. Um, and everybody goes, oh, Kink, it's, what's the show about? I'm like, hey, no, not that kind of, no, I know what you're thinking. Not that kind of Kink. But uh, it's a great to call letters. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of fun. I started with that radio station. I was in a relationship for 10 years, and when he and I divorced, um, the, I knew one of the morning show hosts, and she called me up. She's like, do you want to come and talk about your dating life? And I was like, what? So <laughs> every week I would go in, and we called it Sex in the City, and I talked about, well, I went on this day on Friday, and this guy was – you know, I only wanted to talk about Legend of Zelda for two hours. You know, and I would just talk about my dating life forever. And um, then finally we spun that into a podcast and, and went more the geeky route. Um, so, yeah, that's been really fun, actually. A lot of fun. It's just something silly on the side, but I love doing it. No, cool. It's fun. It's kind of, you know, just getting out and just being able to talk to other people about things that you love. You know, that's why we do this show here. Yeah. Um, do you have a website where people can contact you? Um, you know, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram um, all, all the time. Honestly, probably too much. Um, uh, my name is Andrew Shade, and Shade is spelled S-H-A-Y-D-E, um, S-H-A-Y-D-E. And um, I'm the only one spelled that way. I just have a weird spelling last name, I guess. Um, and I've actually been posting a ton of pictures. I'm at Comic-Con uh, in Salem, Oregon right now. I'm sitting in my truck outside of Comic-Con do- to do this phone call so if anybody's in Salem, oh, awesome. you can come to Comic-Con right now and get all my books. I have them all right here. Um, so that's an option for everybody. But, um, there you go. Everybody <laughs> you, don't live here, but you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, this kind of, I'm, I'm talking my comic books today with people and a bunch of uh, my fellow yeah, I saw your today. I saw your pictures on Facebook and Instagram at the Comic-Con, so I think that's awesome that you're uh-huh. – you're there and, and taking some time out to join us for this hour. Um, I want to thank you so much for all your work you do for the yeah. HIV community and just for, for being an activist for everybody, for love and, and just doing what you do. And I can't wait to get the rest of your comic books. I'm going to get them directly through you somehow so I can get them autographed. So. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'll mail them to you. Just oh, good. By there. the way, you got it. You got all it. right, Andrew, thank you so much for hanging out with us this hour. Yeah. Thank you. See y'all. See ya. All right. Have a good night. There you go. And for more information, just Google Andrew Shade, S-H-A-Y-D-E. You can find him on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. He is everywhere. And uh, that about wraps it up for today's show. We're going to end with some positive messages. Any uh, final uh, words, Aaron? Uh, No, just stay positive.
There you go. And next week we will return uh, with CJ Stopinski, who will be sharing his story live here on Pause I Am Radio. So don't forget to join us. Here's a positive message, and we'll be back next week. Hi. I was diagnosed in March of 1990, three months shy of my 21st birthday. When I went to see the doctor, he told me that my viral load was up in the millions and that my CD4 count was less than 200. Basically, gave me five years to live. Um, at this time, I basically gave up all my dreams, my hopes, and the wanting to live. But fortunately, here I am, 26 years later, I'm very healthy. So my message to you guys is to never give up, never give hope, and to keep up the fight. Yo fui diagnosticado en marzo de 1990, tres meses antes de mi 21 cumpleaños. Um, en este momento el doctor me dijo que yo tenía el viral load en los millones y el CD4 menos de 200. Me dio cinco años de vida. En este momento yo me di por vencido y no quise hacer más por mi vida, pero aquí estoy 26 años después y mi mensaje es que nunca pierdan el deseo de vivir, ¿ok? Sigan la pelea. Thank you for joining us for Paz I Am. You can listen to us each and every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we bring you your weekly dose of hope. Join in the conversation on social media, Paz I Am Radio and at Aaron Laxton. And while you're on there, check out I'm Still Josh as he brings the HIV scoop of the week. Also, if you've not checked out the positive message campaign from Rise Up to HIV. Be sure to do so. For all of you who contribute and make this show possible, thank you so very much. If you think you have a story that needs to be covered or you would like to come on air and talk to Robert and myself, please let us know. We want to bring content that you need and that you want. Be sure to download this episode on iTunes and past episodes. We'd love to hear your feedback. From all of us over here at Paz IM Radio, from Robert Brining and myself, have a safe and healthy week. And until we speak again, stay positive.